Hi, Cold Springs Church. Welcome to Palm Sunday, um, the celebration of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the launching of these whole uh, series of events that are going to take us into Easter, um, the reminder that uh, Jesus is alive, Jesus is has a power that is greater than any death or destruction that we might be experiencing in our life or in the world around us. Would you pray with me um, as we prepare to open up God's Word today? Jesus, thank you for your um, power and your strength. Uh, thank you for the rhythm of the holy times within the year, within this holy time of Lent, of Easter, and now of uh, Palm Sunday. And to take some time to stop and to reflect and to remember uh, the greatness of who you are in the midst of the challenges and the difficulties of the world that we live in. Uh, Jesus, I pray that you would meet us in extraordinary ways, um, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, that you would motivate our bodies to worship you and uh, to love others in ways that are honoring to them and to you. Um, speak to us through your Holy Spirit, through your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The triumphal entry is recorded in a number of the Gospels, and you know this whole Easter story is central within all four of those books that tell the life of the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Mark 11, uh, it captures a story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem, of him riding the donkey coming in. People are excited. You know, people have, um, it's called Palm Sunday because they grab palm branches off the trees and they're waving them. They're throwing down their outer garments on the pathway so the donkey can walk on that. Uh, all of those are the signs of royalty, of recognizing and honoring the royalty of Jesus, that he is this king who is entering into the city. And in, in one sense, when you read that story, when we, we know that bigger story, we recognize that they really didn't understand, they really didn't know what they were welcoming. And it started this whole series of events and these stories that are laid out in the Gospels about the things that went on. And today, as we come to God's Word, as we celebrate this, I want to look at a story that is contained in Mark chapter 14. That a story that um, is contained in this whole Easter story, but uh, particularly looks at a couple of individuals and their encounter with Jesus during this time. And in Mark 14, verses 1 and 2, let me read to you what it says. It says, now... It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. So the, the underlying thing here is, is that, okay, Jesus has come in. People are excited. Uh, people are welcoming him. The, the religious authorities, uh, the and also they would have been the political authorities within the, the Jewish people are looking at this and they're saying, we have to stop this. And 
so there's this, this subterfuge that's going on, these, these plans that, that are happening. And yet, um, what leads into next is the story of Jesus interacting with the people during this Holy Week, what we refer to as the Holy Week. In verse 3, um, it, the story continues. It says, Meanwhile, so there's a subterfuge, there's this plot, there's this plan in order to stop Jesus that's going on by those who are in power. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. So let's just stop there, you know, for a second. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany. So Bethany is a city that is right outside uh, Jerusalem. It would have been a surrounding community not far from the city central of, of Jerusalem. And this is where Jesus is. And he's with the people that he knows, people that know him. And this is uh, where he's staying. At other times, he's staying on the Mount of Olives. Like there's him and his disciples are sort of camping out. And, you know, within just this line here, we are introduced to what I would call a used to people, a used to person. So Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. Another way you could say that is a man who used to have leprosy. And, and what we're going to be introduced to is some more of these used to people. And this is, a, this is the population. These are the, these are the people that Jesus hangs out with, the used to people. Well, in, in sort of, you need to ask that question of who are the used to people? You know, who are the people who used to be something, who used to experience something, but now that they're, they have, that they've met Jesus, there's a new existence, there's a new life, there's a, a new beginning that has happened within them. And the reality is, is that if we are followers of Jesus, they, they are us. Now, Paul um, writes to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church was, uh, you know, the context of the city of Corinth was is that it was an extraordinarily corrupt, extraordinarily um, wild place. Uh, it was a port city, so anything in the world was there. And Paul talks about the used to people when he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And uh, let me read to you um, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, where Paul introduces us and, and defines for us who these used to people are. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. He says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's stop there for a second. That sounds pretty harsh, you know, and, and there can be a lot of people who can sort of like go, what did, you know, what did he say? 
But listen to what Paul continues to say in verse 11. He says, some of you were once like that. Some of you used to be that. You are the used to people. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now Paul gives a pretty extensive list here, uh, but it's not a complete list. And it's not a list in order necessarily of bad you know, to not so bad. He's just calling things out within the culture and within the society, within the world that are contrary to the heart of God. And, and he is recognizing, he's saying, listen, there's a use to, that, that encountering Jesus shifts things. It makes a difference. And so if we go back to Mark chapter 14, to this story that we began looking at in Mark chapter 14, where we are introduced to Simon. And now the thing about Simon is is that Simon was a common name within the the culture and society of the day. And Mark really um, doesn't go into a whole lot of detail. And but one of the things that, you know, he says is that Simon, who used to be a leper. And so when we look at the, the stories of Jesus and captured in the Gospels, we see actually there's a couple of stories that are written down for us where Jesus has healed lepers. One of those stories in Luke is where ten lepers um, call out to Jesus, ask for healing, and Jesus heals those lepers and sends them off to do the, the rituals, the rites that will get them restored into community. Only one of those lepers returns when they realize, recognize that they've, they've been healed and returns to, to Jesus and thanks him. And the, the, Luke makes a point to point out that, that, that this um, person who came back and thanked Jesus was a Samaritan. He wasn't a Jewish person. And Jesus sort of said, you know, what happened, to, what happened to the other nine? Now, there's another passage in Matthew where a leper is healed. And there's no name that's given to this person, but perhaps, maybe, this was the Simon that we are being introduced to. Let me... Let me read to you in, in Mark or Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. It says, uh, Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside, and suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. And so in the story in Matthew, um, the leper comes and, and he is immediately healed by Jesus. When we look at this word of leprosy within the Bible, it had uh, actually a quite a range of meaning. It, it essentially meant that somebody with a skin disease. So when we think of leprosy, we think about more of the extreme case, you know, the leper colony. We see, have seen, you know, different movies have been made about um, with lepers, lepers as a part of that, where, you know, parts of their bodies have rotted off and all that because 
um, within that, the, the nerve endings, uh, there's no sense or feeling, and so people burn themselves, they get infections and all that type of thing. But it really could be any um, skin disease, visible skin disease, is, could define you as somebody who had leprosy. And if you think about it, um, within the culture, if you had uh, leprosy, then you were termed to be unclean, which means that you were cast out to the edges of society, that you could not be a part of community. The only community you could be a part of is a community of the unclean. And that's why you see in that other story in Luke of 10 lepers together, because that was the only community that they could experience was other people like themselves. And so, if, so there would have been a personal pain that was going on for this person who had leprosy. So Simon in, in our story in Mark, who is somebody who had leprosy, there was a personal pain. And anybody who's had a skin rash understands that. You know, I, I recently, within the last couple of weeks, um, had poison oak. And usually I don't get that affected by it. But I had poison oak all up and down my arm here. There's still some evidence of it there. And I had this massive spot of it on the top of my thigh. And, you know, so I'm trying everything to, uh, you know, relieve the, the itching and the pain. It's red. It's swollen. You know, I'm, I'm doing the technu and I'm, I'm washing it. And at night I'm trying to sleep and it's waking me up in the middle of the night. Um, and, you know, I talked to somebody and, and his grandma said, you know, uh, apple cider vinegar, apparently that's the thing that's going to neutralize anything going on here. So if you're suffering from it, then you might check that out. But that's just a minor, you know, inconvenience for me. Uh, I, I have friends and, and people I know who have eczema and and, and so, you know, the, the challenge and the difficulty is that flares up and as it goes down and, and dealing with that can be just a tremendous um, emotional and, and, and physical pain to have to, to deal with. And within that culture, there was, a per, you know, the personal pain of doing that, dealing with it. But there's also very much more, even more so was the social pain. It's the social pain of being um, and ostracized, of being put on the outside. And so when we're introduced to this person, Simon, who used to be a leper, the fact that he is opening up his home and that there are people who are sitting in his home around a table that he's a part of and serving them, there's an extraordinary shift that has taken place. There's an extraordinary change that has happened in Simon's life because he has met Jesus and Jesus has healed him. Now that's an assumed within the story because the only way you used to be is, is that there's a healing that takes place and there's a restoration and Jesus has done that for Simon. He has brought him back into life where he was in the darkness, he was in death before. The other, as the story continues, though, there's another used to person who is introduced to us. And um, again, Mark 14. Let me continue reading in that story. While, while he was eating, while Jesus was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over Jesus' head. Verse 3. 
So all of a sudden, you know, we have the story starts with Simon, who used to be a leper, and then they're sitting down and they're eating, and this woman enters into the story. And we don't know who the woman is. There's some parallel stories in the other Gospels, and in some of these other parallel stories, a couple of the Gospels, uh, it's identified Mary, as Mary, um, the, the sister of Martha, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, all of that family unit. But here in Mark, he doesn't identify who the, the woman is. So what do, we, what do we know about this woman from the story? Well, one of the things that we know is, is that she was uninvited, right? Um, so it, within the, the culture and society of the day, it would, would have been really more uncommon for women to be joining in to a dinner party, right? That, so this is, this is probably, you know, the guy's night in dinner party happening Jesus is gathered around with, you know, his disciples, with um, people within Simon's home, that um, in all likelihood, if women were involved in this at this point, then they probably would have been more in a serving um, and helping role than they would have been in the, the engagement of the conversation. And so this, this woman enters into the, the conversation, into the picture, and, and so another thing that we can sort of surmise about her, her is, is that she was bold, right? I mean, here, here is a woman who sees Jesus and who approaches Jesus at a dinner party. And you have to remember they're reclining sort of on the ground, uh, leaning on one arm, eating with the other hand. And they wouldn't have been sitting at a table. A, t- a table wasn't you know, like we sit in chairs at a table, that was not the way that, that things happened in that time. And she was likely the only woman who was there within that room, and uh, except for serving roles. And the other thing that we see within this story is, is that this is a woman of means. This is a woman who had money. Because she takes this jar of perfume, and and Mark makes it very clear that this is something that's expensive. This is something that is rare. The the contents of this perfume, the base of it came from India, and so it had to be imported, and and, um, it cost a lot of money. In fact, it said, you know, basically it costs a year's worth of wages for a laborer. So, you know, I was thinking, okay, well, if you're in California, the annual income of a minimum wage worker in California is $29,000. So let's say that you're a minimum wage worker and you spent you know, all of your money for the year in buying a jar of perfume, 29 grand. So you just sort of translate that back there. It's not going to be $29,000, but it's going to be, in, in essence, equal to it of what does it take for me to live for a year? I'm going to go and I'm going to buy this a jar of perfume. So where did this woman get those resources? That there was a sense where she's a woman of resources. She didn't just take it off somebody's shelf in a shop you know, as she's walking you know, through the city of Bethany. Um, she, she purchased that. She, she got that in some way. And so here we have a woman of means and a woman of substance who enters into the room, and what does she do? She humbles herself before Jesus. 
Just as the leper in the story in Matthew, who may have been Simon, humbled himself before Jesus by getting down on a knee before Jesus and asking him, will you heal me? This woman comes and humbles herself and anoints Jesus. This this sense of, of, of bowing before, of acknowledging the greatness of Jesus. And and within this, we see the answer to this question of, well, how do you become a used-to person? If, If there's a life of death, if there's a life of destruction, if there's a life of darkness that we are involved in, that we are engaged in, that is sucking the life out of us, how do we become a used to person? How do we come back to life? You know, if we go back to Paul's words in Corinthians where he gives this list of used to people, where he said, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God that he he shows us this path of being cleansed, of made holy, of made right, of what Jesus does when we encounter him, when we humble ourselves, when we do what Paul reminds us in Philippians, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's one day that everybody is going to do that. And at this point, we we have the choice. I was reading in my devotions this morning, and one of my devotions is reading through Psalms and, and Proverbs, um, of looking at the wisdom that is there. And, and Proverbs 19.3 is this uh, that I read this morning. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. And I made a comment. It's like, isn't that so true, right? You know, we blame God for our stupid, Right? That, that, that we blame God for the places of darkness, the places of death we find ourselves in because we made those choices to go down those pathways, to go down those roads, and then you know, we're angry at God because we're there. How do we become a used-to person? Well, we kneel before Jesus. We, we quit blaming God, quit blaming Jesus, and we kneel before Jesus. We, we acknowledge, we recognize that he is king. And we ask the question, like the, the, the leper asked Jesus, if, if you are willing, will you heal me? Will you make me whole? Are, are, you, are you courageous enough to ask Jesus that question for the, the hurt, the, the brokenness, the unforgiveness, the pain that's in your life, the disappointment of others, the disappointment of yourself, all of that? Will you ask that question, Jesus, are, are, if you're willing, will you make me whole? And then the thing that happened within both the leper and here with this woman was to receive the touch of Jesus. It's very explicit in the story of the leper in Matthew that Jesus reaches out and he touches the untouchable. And when he touches Simon, he is immediately made whole. He is immediately healed. Will you receive the touch of Jesus? There's this amazing grace that takes place. Now, the story isn't over that's told to us in Mark chapter 14. Because there's actually a response to this woman 
to the people who are sitting around the table. And it's a very fascinating response. Look at verse 4. He says, Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. <laughs> you know, we, we see this here. We see this example of, of, of the response in one sense. And Simon, you have to think, is a part of this, you know, these words and the sentiment that's going on in the room of, of here's a notorious sinner. Here's, here's this woman, this, yeah, she's, she's bold and she has substance, but what is she doing here? What is she doing? How dare she interrupt our, our dinner? And how dare she waste all of this, you know, this valuable resource that could have, quote unquote, gone to feed the poor? Um, and, and it brings up this question of, you know, are we welcoming to the notorious sinners in our life. And I'll tell you what, man, I'm being stretched and challenged on this in my life right now. I, I have to confess to you. And here, but here in this story, a woman in a dinner party of men, you know, it, and she's, she would be one of these seen but not heard people. You know what I'm talking about? There's lots of seen but not heard people. And then eventually they become just in the background. They're not even seen. And Jesus sees and hears all of those who are around us, all of those who are around him. And, and the, the people in response to this, you know, in Jesus receiving this, is that they didn't like the blessing of others. They didn't like the blessing that Jesus was pouring out. You know, they, they're scolding this woman harshly for what she has done. And look at what Jesus' response is, verse 6. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to. And just by the way, you know, he's going back to a, a passage in Deuteronomy, which is essentially saying the same thing. And he's not lowering the poor. He's elevating himself. He's acknowledging, you know, the reality of his position. And not saying, well, you know what, the poor are always there, so ignore the poor. That's not the point of what Jesus is saying. You always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. Verse 8, she has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Did, did, you, catch, did you catch that phrase that Jesus said about, about this woman? It's, it is an extraordinarily powerful phrase where he says in verse 8, she has done what she could. If there's anything that I want you to remember and come away from today, it is this. Doing what you can is good enough for Jesus. Doing what you can is good enough for Jesus. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. You are being invited into worship of Jesus. 
see, this life is this invitation, this grand invitation. And, and this whole story of the triumphal entry of Easter is this reminder, this rhythm every year. You are being invited into a grand life of worshiping Jesus. And every one of us feels inadequate to the invitation. And what Jesus says of this woman, he says of you and I, doing what you can is good enough for Jesus. This woman took what she had and she gave her extravagance. And it was totally misunderstood. It was totally rejected by everybody around her except for the one who was most important, Jesus. What is your extravagance? What is your doing what you have, giving what you have? Where can you start with Jesus? That's all he asks. That is all he asks. The triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, is a celebration of Jesus entering in. Those people waving palm branches, throwing down their robes and cloaks at the feet of this donkey and it walking on them and them being all excited. They had no clue. They had no idea what they were welcoming. But you know what? We do. We do. We know the full story. And we know it's the king of glory. We know it is the one that brings life. We know that we are welcoming Jesus who can bring us back to life. My encouragement to you this Easter, this day, this Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry is, is that you would invite Jesus to enter in and you would let him touch you. And whatever you have, it's enough for Jesus. Jesus, we invite you in. We receive all of your grace, all of your love in response to how little we feel we have to acknowledge or to give to you. Thank you that whatever we have is enough for you. And you, Jesus, are, are extraordinary in your extravagant love towards us. Help us to live in that, to receive it, to feel it. And then, Jesus, help us to be more of that, of your love and your grace in the world we live. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for Palm Sunday. Just one quick reminder is, is that who's your one more? Who is the person that you can invite either to come and to join us live or to join us online to engage in the story of Easter? We would love to have you. Thanks so much.